You're listening to the Youth for Life podcast with Michelle Baum, director of Why for Life at Lutherans for Life, where we prepare youth to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Be sure to stick around after today's live recording of our Chats for Life program to find out how you can be live too on our next Youth for Life podcast. Let's go ahead and I do have an opening question for you guys tonight. But what I really want to do first is start with prayer and then we'll do the opening question because I think that that's going to lead right into Pastor Shave's material. Uh, by the way, this is Pastor Shave. He is the director of LCMS Urban and Inner City Missions. And there are some great posts and articles out there that I'll connect you with after his presentation. Actually, I think it's going to be referenced during the presentation as well. So I am so glad that you're here with us tonight and looking forward to, to all you have to teach us. So I'm going to invite Pastor Duncan to open us with prayer, and then we'll start with our question. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to receive your forgiveness, your mercy, your grace, for they are new to us each and every day. We ask for your blessings as we go forth in our life that we would recognize the gifts that you continue to give us. One of those great gifts is house and home. We, we pray for those in our Lord's Prayer, that you give them to us as a part of our daily gifts. And often we can, we can forget about them. We can, we can think that they'll always be there. But we live in a sinful world and circumstances even beyond our control, but often circumstances that are uh, very sinful in our lives will, will often lead us uh, into areas where we are homeless. But we ask, Lord, that, that you would help us to, to always recognize the gifts that you give and to, to seek ways to give glory to you for those gifts. And where we can, Lord, help us to be instruments of your ministry, gospel-centered voices for life, to reach out to those who are homeless, to aid and support, to encourage, pray for, provide, give direction to and support in whatever way that you would have us fit with the gifts that you've given us. Be with our pastor tonight, Pastor Shave, as he presents uh, homelessness to us and give him uh, a strong voice and help us to hear all that he has to share that we might take it forth with your love and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So my opening question for you tonight is this. So I want you to imagine, imagine that you are homeless. And I would like you to think as you're imagining what that world might look like, what you might fear or feel, and what do you think you would need most, okay? So I'm gonna give you a few seconds to think about that. So is there someone who's ready kind of comment on that what are your first impressions well I've obviously I've never been homeless but I know the sense of feeling of having nothing because when we moved down here we only had what we brought and that was like maybe 10 suitcases so I know that I know it feels scary at first walking into an empty place where you have nothing no bed nothing um uh, no, not even fridge full of food like you would, you're used to coming home to. But um, I would think the first thing you would want to have is clothes and um, some place to, some place to rest your head, even if it's the dirt ground. Okay, thank you. Who else is ready? Uh, so I would say that. Um, I'd probably be afraid of, I mean, I know there are some shelters, but I'd be afraid of them being full. And, uh, you know, a lot of homeless people are not allowed on the streets. So I'd be worried about that, you know, not allowed to like sit on park benches and stuff like that. And I'd be worried about other people's judgment too, because a lot of homeless people get a bad reputation and they people think that they're just begging when they could get a job 
um, when in reality, it's not always that easy. And I would say one of the first things I would want would be a job. Okay. Thank you. Who else is ready? I think I would feel like very alone and I wouldn't necessarily know where to turn. And then like the main thing I would be wanting would be compassion just because I would probably be nervous that people wouldn't actually believe me and the fact that I actually was like needing a lot of help to get back on my feet. And they wouldn't believe you because they would, because why, why do you think they wouldn't believe you? Well, a lot of times, like, especially I know around where I live, if you see somebody on the side of the road and they like have a sign or something, it's not necessarily like your first thought isn't, oh, they actually are homeless. It's like, there's certain people in the city I live in that everyone actually knows they're just doing it to try to get money and they aren't actually homeless. As a scam. Yeah, just so people would actually believe that you need help. Yeah, good. Who else would like to go? I know that I'm pretty useless without my medication and it's already been hard to get it during the pandemic to go in and see a doctor. And so I know that if I was homeless, that'd be really heavy on my mind because I wouldn't be able to function. Okay, good. Um, I think if I was homeless, I'd probably want like a place to sleep and like a place to put like anything that I had. So like, I guess that would involve like a place to say would be like families and friends, like good friends and like family. Like I'd want maybe like one or two people who know me really well that like would be fine with me staying with them. Good. So I could get like a job maybe. Mm-hmm. So community, definitely. Whether it's family or people to help. What else? Um, so I'd probably be really scared and not really know what to do. And probably one of the first things I would want will be a place to sleep and just like, and also being able to get a job. Really important, I think. Okay, good. I feel like the big thing for me would be what circumstances had led to my homelessness, whether or not it was because I made a mistake or because I was taken advantage of. Because I know that if I was taken advantage of and found myself homeless, I would feel a lot angrier and possibly more driven to get back like motivated by spite as opposed to if i had made a mistake and lost it i would feel more lethargic and depressed and self-loathing as opposed to a kind of drive okay honestly i mean the first thing that that popped in my head when you said that was um worrying about the elements and where I'd end up sleeping and how that would be if it would be out in like a tent or out in the open or what. So. Okay. Good. Um, I would be really concerned about safety um, because as a homeless person, you're in a very vulnerable position um, uh, without shelter and also probably desperate to get whatever shelter or resources you can. All right. Good. I think I was thinking along the same lines as Simeon and just being like, if I couldn't stay in a shelter, especially in like the Midwest winters, things can get really, really rough and cold. And if it's something like we've had the past couple of years where the temperatures are, you know, way below zero, like I would be so scared and I would be getting sick constantly. And I think it'd just be really dangerous. And then you, I'd be more vulnerable to people who'd want to take advantage of me or to hurt me. And so I think that those are the things that came to my mind. Good. Yeah, honestly, I was also thinking the same thing as Simeon and Nicole. Depending on where you are in the country or anywhere, the weather could be a real concern. First of all, I'd probably feel very hungry because if I'm homeless by this point, I've probably run out of things to eat. And then, of course, the first thing I'd want is something to eat. All right. Pastor Duncan, did you have any to share? Yeah, I, I, the first thing I would think that I would recognize is noise, just noise everywhere. Because in my home, I can go to places where it's quiet. But if I'm homeless, I'm, I'm out in the streets. I'm in a park. I'm, I'm out. And, and I think that um, the thing that I would be wanting um, is uh, a shower. Um, a place where I can go in and and uh, get myself clean. 
because I'm out of all the places. I'm picking up city dust and countryside. And uh, I, I don't even like going to the bathroom in, in uh, gas stations these days, let alone thinking of how am I going to clean myself uh, in, in those places. So, yeah. You guys have some really great, great observations, great thoughts. I am very impressed by how intuitive you are. And I, I think I mentioned that in one of my emails to Pastor Shay. This, you guys, it's a great group. You're very reflective and understand life issues very well. I don't want to respond to what you've said because I'd like Pastor Shave, our expert, to be able to do so. So I'm going to hand it over to him and you just let me know, Pastor Shave, when you want me to bring up any pictures or anything like that. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for your observations. Just the fact that you understand just how vital this issue is to not only life ministry, but our understanding of the sanctity of life. And so many of the things that you touched on, I want to dive into deeper in a little bit. Um, but how much of that really did focus on human dignity. And when we talk about the sanctity of human life, how every single person is a jewel to God, well, that the Father was willing to give the Son to die for, um, that in God's eyes, the person that's written off by the world, the crazy bag lady, you know, in a chronicle that I did, the cover is a woman in front of a church, and she's sitting out kind of on the steps on the curb, and the first thing I'd ask you is, you know, what, what do you set out on the curb in the city? And that's how so many of these people are made to feel on a daily basis. So a lot of what you're touching on really gets into when we say sanctity of human life, that means that we as Christians see just how valuable each and every human life is. And so that's, that's what I'm really uh, impressed with uh, so far. I was going to say that no, nobody mentioned in terms of like, what would you think about needing? A lot of people don't uh, think about socks, <laughs> and I didn't hear anybody mention socks. It's one of the most simple ways that you can really help somebody. You want to see somebody light up uh, that's a homeless person on the street, uh, bring a pair of socks, and it's interesting, uh, Bombas socks, if you buy a pair of socks, they donate, and if you go and you ask them, you say, we're going to go out and we're going to put kits together for 100 homeless people, they will give you 100 pairs of socks it's a great organization so i'm sorry what was that called again Bombas, B -O -M -B -A -S. it was just in I, nobody said socks and i was thinking you know yeah. it's probably not intuitive it's probably not the first thing that comes to your mind but um yeah it's it's one of those things that gets overlooked that really makes a huge immediate impact um some of the things you know if you're talking about what what do you need for a lot of people it's obvious as you guys were kind of talking about this that Mental health care is uh, certainly a great need for a lot of people. Um, people that are dealing with an addiction, um, they need support for that and recovery. Um, and again, that's through our work and mercy. It was interesting. I got asked by the Surgeon General to be kind of the keynote for a task force that got a discussion started on the opioid crisis. And one of the things that stood out for us in the LCMS is that we have an initiative to help to create jobs because I heard a lot of you say jobs and one of the things the Surgeon General said even talking about his own brother situation is that you know it's just easier to stay out on the street and to stay high if there's no chance of mending relationships with your family and there's no chance of getting work it's just easier so everything else just becomes kind of a, a you know a pipe dream and so employment is a huge part of not only giving people dignity but it's also part of recovery uh, for a lot of people because otherwise they just don't see, well, what's the point? And one of the things you guys talked about too is, you know, having a place to stay and could somebody let me keep my things and um, just kind of being embedded with some of the homeless uh, folks out there. It is interesting to see how they live day to day. And so a lot of them kind of have to have stashes. So like if you can imagine all of your worldly belongings, um, you have to find a good place to stash it away. Some people are in a better circumstance where they have a gym locker and they could keep their things. They could at least get a shower and have a place to keep their stuff. And a lot of other people, they just have to stash it. And for some of them, they lose everything then um, because somebody comes along and finds it. And then that's, that's it. But that really ties into what you were talking about with relationships. 
So one of the common threads, you know, why don't they have a place to stay? They might be really far away from their families or whatever it might be, but there are some strain in their relationships with family and friends where they don't have a place to stay. And what we would call that if they do go kind of from place to place with people they know, that's kind of called functional homelessness. So it's not what we think of, you know, purely homeless because they do have a place for shelter, but we call that functional homeless because they have to go from place to place. And for a lot of them, again, if they're suffering from mental health or addiction issues, that functional homeless then becomes homelessness because, again, those ties with uh, the relationships of the people they're staying with, um, they become strained. And, you know, we're talking too about, um, you know, if, if somebody is in this situation and they cut ties and you guys were talking about, well, a lot of people, it just seems like this is a scam. Even if it is, even if it is a scam, what you're talking about here with, if you're talking about mending relationships, mending souls, mending people who have uh, gone through trauma, there's no government program, guys, that's going to help these people. You know, it's only through the work of the gospel. It's only through the work of the church, even if they are blatantly scamming people. And um, I'll talk a little bit about this article uh, when you see a panhandler in a moment. But just keep in mind that uh, truly these, these major things, it's more than just shelter. It's more than just a house. These are major life issues. And really the church is about the only place that can make that kind of an impact. So those, those were all good things that you talked about. And then just talking about being out in the elements and the noise and that sort of thing. Again, kind of just having uh, been out with homeless people, lived kind of the, the day of the life in a makeshift homeless camp. You know, it was interesting to me that, you know, there are some people just because of their addiction, they have everything. They've got shelter, clothes, but they actually choose the life of living on the streets so they can continue with their addictive behaviors. But even for people that don't have that, they choose to be in the elements. They, they are out there in the noise. And I, I slept in a uh, makeshift homeless camp outside of a music convention center, and they're blaring, you know, orchestral music. And it was terrifying because you have no idea if somebody's coming up on you. You're hearing street sounds, you know, they're cleaning the streets and there's gunshots and uh, you know, you, it just all those senses, it's just terrifying to be out there in the elements and not to know when somebody's approaching you. It was, it was very off-putting for me, I know, but that they would choose to live in the elements, you know, for a lot of people that says a lot. So for some people, they would say it's too rowdy in the shelters, especially for guys. And by that, they would, they would rather take their chances out in the streets than what goes on in some shelters in their cities. Uh, so consider that as well. And if it's freezing out, you know, that's why so many churches have now stepped up to be warming centers in the winter and they, you know, set up their pews so that the homeless at least have something to keep them from hypothermia at the very least. Um, and a lot of them provide other things as well. But just to consider that there are people who would rather brave the elements and the noise and, you know, even something that doesn't necessarily seem very safe. Um, they would still prefer that over being in a shelter. That says a lot. One of the things I'd say that's maybe on a positive note is uh, I heard food being mentioned. And in a lot of our cities, it's kind of interesting. A lot of homeless people will never go hungry. And thanks be to God, that's because of faith-based organizations, that there are multiple uh, opportunities for people to find food. And so that's, that's a good thing. One of the harder things to find, as Pastor Duncan pointed out, is a shower. Some cities do have uh, shower ministries. But, you know, again, it's not just a feeling of cruddiness <laughs> that we're talking about with a shower. What we're talking about is giving a person their human dignity. And that's one of the things that is so quickly taken away. So if you can imagine, I, again, I dressed up and, uh, you know, took my glasses off and put a hoodie on and... Um, I was with a group of homeless people, and almost immediately, you know, I thought I was going to be this outside observer of what this is going to be like, and almost immediately, I felt what it was to be homeless. I mean, it was the first time in my life that I went to a park and saw a mom grab her child and drag her to the other side of the park so that she wouldn't come anywhere near me. It was the first time, like, if I go to Starbucks, you know, wearing my polo shirt, 
you know, I'm treated like royalty, but I went to this coffee shop and this guy could not get rid of us fast enough. It was the first time I really understood what it felt like to lose your dignity. And so one of the things, if there's nothing else that I can help you guys to understand is how we as Christians, not only do we care, not only do we show mercy, but we do it in a way that gives people their human dignity. One of the most important means of doing that is understanding our own place before God. You know, how we all have fallen short. We all are sinful. Um, somebody else mentioned it. We're all in life a paycheck or two away from something like this devastating occurrence can happen to just about anybody if you don't have close ties and somebody to lean on in really dire situations. So I, I heard all kinds of stories from people who are homeless through the years. Some of them were just absolutely terrible stories. You know, a woman who was out on the streets because she was a young woman, her uh, mom's boyfriend would traffic her out on a daily basis and she said she'd live, rather live on the streets. And some of them were as simple as, you know, six months ago, I had it all. I had a college education, I had a job, the economy turned, everything went south. I'm not from America. Everything went bad for me. And now all I have is not enough to, to live on anymore. And here I am homeless, you know. So the stories that you hear from homeless people, these are, are real human beings. It can happen to any one of us. And again, I'm going to talk a lot about how important it is for us, how we see homeless people through the eyes of Christ. And how do we then, because of that, show people not only care and mercy, but to give them their dignity. Another thing I want to make sure I pointed out, though, you know, you're talking about imagine yourself being homeless. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but I don't know if you know what the average age of the homeless person is. Because typically, if I say a homeless person, you might think of that panhandler that's, you know, by the bus stop, he's at the baseball park outside begging for money. But that is not the average homeless person. And I'm going to talk more about that, the adult uh, side and how we show mercy, but the average age of homelessness is nine years old. And so when you think about that, we're talking about children that are making up the majority of our homeless population in America. And for many of them, they are facing homelessness and being out on the street, unfortunately. And my wife actually leads a, an organization here in St. Louis that cares for families facing homelessness. Too many times, uh, the reason that this happens is that they live in fear every day in the lives that they live uh, because of an abusive dad and husband. They basically have about an hour to get as many possessions as they can. They throw it into a garbage bag and then they have to flee for their lives. And so when I talk about some of the, well, why do we need to have homeless ministries for families? It's because every single child deserves to sleep in their own bed in the safety of their own home. And so for many of these children, um, they come out of extremely traumatic situations. And then on top of that, if they find themselves in shelters, that kind of trauma has long-term impact. And that's why it's so important for the church to be involved in homeless ministry for families that are facing homelessness, especially in a tragic situation like that, because you can only imagine the kind of trauma that they have. So something else to, to consider when we're talking about homelessness is just think about, well, what is, what is the average homeless person in terms of, of age? It's a, it was kind of interesting to me too. Like we would do a few homeless ministries in Cincinnati where I was serving the inner city. And uh, two things came to mind. Number one, the number of people that live in the poverty level that they're facing homelessness, that they're very close to being on the bubble for being homeless. The NFL stadium there could be completely filled with people that are on that level of poverty. We would host a Christmas Day event for homeless veterans. And we had a full-size Lutheran high school kind of size basketball conference game kind of size gym set out every table, every chair, and every single chair would be filled with our veterans who are homeless. That's how many homeless veterans there are. So just the number of people uh, and the age categories um, to me are really important to consider when you're talking about homeless ministry. 
So with that, if you're okay with it, I'll dive into kind of my discussion about this article that I wrote. Michelle had kind of asked me to to take a, a walk through it with you guys. So the Lutheran Witness is our magazine that's put out every month, and one of the months was going to be on mercy. And so all I had was a title, and the title was When You See a Panhandler. And so it was just interesting. That's all they gave me. They, no direction on what we want you to write about or anything. The title is When You See a Panhandler. But even that, to me, kind of gave away the motive a little bit. Because I, I immediately knew, so even in my first sentences, I said, when you see a panhandler on the street corner, what do you see? And then I said, Some, someone worthy of a helping hand or someone hustling to make a buck. Because I knew that's kind of where the title was going, is that there are so many people that are like, oh, this guy is a scam artist. You know, it's trying to rip me off. Why would I help this person? But then you have to start thinking about, well, what are my motives here? Because then you start to sound a lot like Job's friends, like, oh, what did that person do to deserve to be in the situation that they're in? I don't think that they deserve for me to help them and show them mercy because they're just getting what they deserve. Or throughout scripture, when you see the people who are most marginalized and how the disciples are all looking down their nose, they got their arms crossed and, you know, maybe they're even like the rich man that passes by Lazarus at the gate, just kind of looking down his nose at this person. You know, that's kind of the posture. Even when we go to help people too many times, it's our posture. We're looking down on these people because, you know, they're worse sinners than I am. And so they've obviously done something. And it's kind of fascinating because even Luther in his day dealt with this. And so one of the things that he addresses in one of his writings is he talks about the town's squire filth. And why does he call him the squire filth? Because you have limited resources to help people that are in need. And here are these people who could be at work. And instead of, you know, going to work, they are then misusing the charity of the church, which should be going to people who really have need, right? And so even Luther struggles with this idea of people who are just scam artists. But I'll go back again and I will say, if that's truly what's in the intent of somebody's heart, is there a government program that is going to turn their lives around from what they're doing so that they could be good, healthy citizens? No, it's only, again, the church that can truly transform people's hearts. And so we can show mercy, even if we aren't sure about somebody's motives or intentions, because if God only shows mercy to the people who actually deserve to have mercy, who of us is going to raise their hand and say, I am the one who's worthy because we are all habitual sinners. We are all, you know, people who lie and cheat and everything else uh, to get ahead in this world because of our sinful nature. And we will all stand before our judge and we all come into this world with nothing to offer and we'll go out of this world with nothing to offer. And the only reason we have what we have is by the grace of of God. So no matter who the person is, that's why we show mercy, because God shows me his unmerited grace, just because I am his child created in his image. And so when I was looking at this article, I started to think about what do you see? Do you see just a scam artist? Or do you recognize that this is your neighbor, that this is your fellow beggar, and you know that you are also kind of helpless and destitute, you're completely dependent on the mercy of God on a daily basis. You're just a steward of the gifts that God has given to you. And so one of the things when I was at the National Youth Gathering for the LCMS, uh, one of the pastors had said, you know, a lot of the folks that are here with us, you know, they're just very uncomfortable. You know, they're not comfortable being around the homeless people. It's just easier to kind of turn your head away and not see this. They just kind of see these people not as their neighbor, right? These are just strangers. And so one of the people I made sure that I uh, talked about in my presentation was uh, a guy named Aaron. And so I'm out there doing kind of this homeless experience, and I did not expect to run into one of my own former sheep of my church. I had a lady from my congregation say, I went to school with this guy, and I cannot believe I was out in the streets of the city, and I saw him homeless and addicted. 
pastor would you go to him? And it really got me thinking because guess what? His parents were my members. And so for a lot of people, when they would walk right by this guy, like he was some complete stranger, no name, no face, look away. Guess what? That was somebody's classmate. It's somebody's son. It's my brother. And he's lost. And the wolf's got him. And we can't stop until we find the lost, right? We go into the muck and the mire and the dark places. We spend all night until we finally find that lost sheep. And so for those kids, I wanted them to know when they were in that big city of Minneapolis and they see these no-name strange people, that that is somebody's child. And more than that, that is a child of God. And so he had a name. Uh, his name was Aaron. And that was the name he was baptized into. I mean, he was baptized in the name of the whole, uh, whole Trinity, but his baptismal name on his certificate was Aaron. That's his name. He's a child of God. And so as we look at people and we think, oh, they're just these lowly, no-nothing, no-names, these are God's kids. They're his children, and he loves them. And so when you kind of understand your own place before God and you recognize the value, the absolute priceless value of every single soul, then you're kind of ready. You know, you're, you're ready to serve uh, because you know your place before God and you know who they are uh, before God as well. And you're ready to engage and to help your fellow human being who's been created in God's image and to meet their physical and their spiritual needs. Because again, a lot of them have gone through a lot of trauma. And so, you know, it was kind of interesting for me as I talk about that. So I, I felt that for the first time in my life, I, I felt what that was like when I was with a, a group of homeless people and I was out on the streets with them um, and stayed with them overnight. And one of the things that struck me the most from that specific experience is I got treated by people as garbage all day. I was literally the refuse of the world. And then we went to this one feeding ministry and here we are standing on a corner and this guy walks up to me. They drove up in this Escalade and he looked like some hipster doofus, well-to-do guy. And I'm like, oh, he's just going to come over here and, you know, he's just trying to do his good deed and he's going to make me feel stupid and lowly, just like everybody else. And he walked up to me, right? And here I am, this guy is well put together in, you know, fancy clothes and all that. And he called me, sir. And I cannot tell you after what I felt like that entire day when this guy invaded my life, showed me God's mercy, and then he simply looked me in the eye and he called me, sir, for the first time that entire day. It wasn't until a Christian spoke to me and the love of Christ that I felt human again. And so I break down in tears and I'm like, okay, I got to tell you, I'm not actually... <laughs> A homeless person I'm actually the director for our urban inner city mission and I said I just need you to know what that felt like I said because I have been serving the homeless for years and years I had absolutely no idea absolutely no idea what it would feel like to be on the receiving end of God's mercy and it wasn't until you just walked up to me and treated me like a human being and you called me sir that the first time in my life I could say oh this is what that feels like when I show mercy to somebody who feels like they least deserve it. That's what it feels like. And so I said, I just got to thank you that you gave me that experience to know what it's like to show mercy to people who feel like the least and the lowly list, and that you gave that person true dignity and honor in the eyes of God. And so um, I point that out just, just so you understand that, you know, it's, it's a great thing to show mercy, but again, it's so important that we do it in a way that people understand who they are. Okay, so I've seen you know, people who are most marginalized. I've seen people who are most kind of written off by the world, and I've seen uh, how there's a fine line between who, who is really kind of the scam artist and who we would kind of consider to be worthy of these things. But there are people that are truly in need. And, you know, I kind of described that with a mom who's uh, kind of humbling herself, uh, has to be out on the street just for the sake of caring for 
her children uh, and to protect them. And still God shows, shows mercy. So every, every single person then, whether they are doing it like as a professional criminal or a mom that's just doing everything as desperately as she can to care for her kids, they should be shown the same kind of mercy and dignity. Two things that I'll, I'll point out kind of really hit home for me about how important it is to show dignity to people. So, you know, we want to have the right programs in place to take care of people's needs. But one of the things that struck me, so we would do this Christmas Day event for our community. I kind of mentioned we do a couple things in my inner city congregation when I was in the parish. And we would have a time where we would get uh, gifts for all the kids. And so the moms would walk over with the kids. You know, they kind of paint a smile on their face. The kids were obviously pretty excited, you know, that they were going to get a gift. But I couldn't help but notice that all the dads would leave the gym and they'd walk out into the hallway. And it just really hit me, like, why, why would the dads all kind of feel the need to get up and leave? And then I started thinking about what if that was me with my family? And how would that make me feel if you didn't give me an opportunity to provide for my own family, but I had to, you know, kind of right in front of everybody, watch you give gifts to my kids. And so it's easy for us as Christians to do these kind of transactional things without the understanding and the relationship that's involved. And so what I didn't know we were doing was we were stripping these men of their dignity never meant to do it, never would have even thought of it until I actually witnessed it with my own eyes of what was happening. And so as you guys are talking about jobs and all of those, you know, important things, um, and that's what's so important about doing mercy work with dignity is that people want to be lifted up out of their circumstance. They don't want to be kept in this situation where it's a continual dependency on other people and to give them their dignity you know, that's what God does. He gives us vocations and work. These are first article gifts that he gives to us. And so when we start thinking about, oh, we want to help people who are homeless, please, please consider not just those emergency aid types of things, but what are the ways that we can help people to actually be lifted up out of their circumstance? And then the last example that I wanted to give you uh, is, again, I mentioned we do a homeless event. We would have a Christmas party for our homeless veterans with an organization that was serving there in Cincinnati. And just last thing I want to talk about with, with dignity and why it's important. So there's a guy, uh, you know, he's a former military guy, served our country. We would have these kind of mercy events, never had trouble finding volunteers. And I bet every one of you would be happy to be a part of a Christmas Day event that's going to help our homeless veterans and to give them Christmas, right? And the whole, the whole idea of this was that nobody would be in need and nobody would be alone on Christmas, right? And I couldn't help but notice, and we did this in my parish where we were kind of serving people in a shanty town uh, in rural Georgia first and then in the city. You know, we never had trouble finding volunteers, but here is this guy, Joe, and he's sitting all by himself at the table. I'm like, there are all these volunteers here. The whole idea of this is that nobody's going to be alone for Christmas, and here's this guy sitting by himself. So I just took it upon myself, you know, I'm, these are like chaotic, and I'm just like, I'm going to just take a break here, and I'm just going to go sit down with Joe. And so I'm sitting with him, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, why are people so uncomfortable sitting with somebody like Joe? And I got it. He had these bloodshot eyes. He had this toothless kind of smile. He wasn't the most comfortable person to sit with. I can understand how people would think, oh, you know, he's kind of crubby. And obviously just looking at the bloodshot eyes, it looks like all the roads that this guy has been down and the bad places he's been and just not comfortable, right? But the thing about dignity that really struck me is, you know, so many of us know Matthew 25. And Jesus says, as you have done it for the least of these, you have done it for me right? And so he talks about when they're hungry, you feed them. When they're naked, you clothe them. When they're, you know, if they need a house, you give them shelter, right? But the thing that finally hit me as I'm sitting here with Joe and I'm looking at his bloodshot eyes and this toothless smile 
is that when Jesus says, as you have done it for the least of these, my brothers, you have done it for me. He uses a title there. And Jesus typically goes by three titles, prophet, priest, and the third one is king. The title Jesus uses, he says, as you have done it, for the least of these, my brothers, you have done it for me, your king. And I have looked at Joe with completely different eyes because Jesus is telling me, you have done it for your king. Who is sitting at my table? Royalty. I have the honor to serve royalty at my table when I serve Joe. And I sit with him, and I talk with him, and I love on him. I'm doing this for my king. And in Joe is royalty. So a lot of what we talk about with homeless ministry is what can we do? What can we do? What are the things we can do? Please remember this. Please remember this. At the end of the day, it won't be about what you did. It will all be about how did you love? Did you love looking down on people? Did you love others in a way that you felt better than other people? Because, you know, as Jesus says, as you have done it, you think I am the Christ and I'm serving this lowly person. No, at the end of the day, it's how did you love the least? and seeing them royalty. And so we don't want to just serve people and do things. We want to truly love them as God has loved us. So just some last thoughts and maybe some, you know, uh, stir your brains for questions you might have for me, but, but here are some things to consider. What do you see when you see a panhandler? And then think about, well, how did Luther view this issue, well, he also speaks about the fifth commandment. And if there is an opportunity for us to save a person from starving to death, a person from, you know, dying of exposure, um, Luther not only talks about that squire filth thing, but he also says that it's our responsibility as Christians. We are held accountable to the fifth commandment, that if there is something we could do to help, um, we are called to do that. Um, are there dangers for helping others? Uh, you know, for them and for you, absolutely. Especially if you give people money uh, and cash, um, they can do extremely dangerous things with, you know, a dollar, five dollars. So you do need to think about that. But the other question is, why shouldn't we let these dangers paralyze us then? As we're, you know, a lot of people are talking about that at the beginning, these kind of dangers and skepticism, they kind of paralyze us from action when it comes to caring for people. Um, then the, another thing to think about, do they deserve help or do they deserve your love? What's more important between the two? Absolutely, it's about love. And if you don't know if they deserve your love, all you have to look at is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's all you have to look at. And you, you understand they absolutely deserve your love because that's how much God displayed his love for each and every one of them. Another thing to think about is when you think about the great heavenly banquet, all the well-to-do people get the invitation. They're all too busy to come to God's feast. And who does the master of the house send his servants to invite? The poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, right? What does that represent in the days of Jesus? The most marginalized, looked down on people that must be horrible, rotten sinners, the master wants them to be invited so that his house will be full and his house won't be full unless they're all invited is what God says in his word. And then just think about what are, what are those practical next steps? And for me, it starts with something as simple as just seeing them, right? I mean, I had an urban inner city pastor tell me that one time he went to a corner, there was a guy that was there begging said, I'm sorry, I got to get this meeting. I got to go to the hospital. Um, you know, I wish I could, you know, help you out for a minute here. And the guy just thanked him. He said, I'm just glad that you saw me. And I thank you that you actually saw me because so many of these folks just feel like they live in this invisible world where nobody wants to even see them. So practical next step is just to see somebody, to love somebody, it can be as simple as giving a kit to somebody and then 
praying for them by their name. That's how, that's how easy this can be to make that much of an impact in somebody's life that feels, again, like the refuse of, of the world. So I'm going to close with that, Michelle, if you want to open it up for conversation. Yeah, so let's go ahead. And what questions do you have for Pastor Shave? And maybe some of the things on the last slide. He does have four slides there, so I'll be sending them all four to you. Um, so you can kind of have an outline for the discussion that we we talked about. Maybe it can jog your memory. But what sort of questions do you have? I know he talked about um, panhandlers and how some people are genuinely in need and some people are just trying to take advantage of people's goodwill. Do you know what percentages of each that makes up? Like how many people are actually trying to just get by? Yeah, the percentage of like professional criminals would be much lower than the average homeless person. Um, it's typically families that are affected the most. You know, a lot of people are uh, professional criminals and so they're grifters. Uh, and that means that they go from place to place and again, it's okay to buy them a sandwich, fill up their tank of gas, listen to their story and tell them, you know, there's a lot of holes in your story there. And that's between you and God. And let me tell you about how God's mercy works. But the vast majority of people who are facing homelessness or are homeless um, are not the professional uh, criminal panhandler scam artist. Okay, good question. What other questions do you have? Is there any way we would be able to tell them apart other than sitting down and talking with them? Yeah, so it was kind of interesting. We did this uh, young adult court event. We, uh, we were in Philadelphia, and the kids were kind of surprised. Like, I, I could point out who a homeless person was just by kind of what was going on. And they're like, how do you know? I mean, you kind of like have to know that community, and it is a community. Um, but yeah, you have to kind of be a spiritual doctor, like with any sinner, as any pastor that does confession and absolution, um, you gotta, you know, you might be hearing this symptom, that symptom, and really, oh, it turned out this is the actual root of all of that. And uh, until you get to that root of what, what causes all the other symptoms, um, you know, you won't really know. So there really isn't, but I would say uh, you always can err on the side of grace. Again, if, if it sounds like the story they're selling you is just a load of beans, um, you can even call them on it. If you know that they're that somebody bold-faced lied to you, you know you can say, you know that that doesn't sound quite right, but I'm going to show you mercy because that's exactly what God does for me, and He does it on a daily basis. So, yeah, but it takes some checking the symptoms, no doubt. Would you recommend that that youth approach? approach homeless people or work through organizations to do so? Like you talked about the young man who brought you a meal and it was obviously a, a place where people could come for those, those resources. Yeah, so it was a very public location, street lights, police, safe. If we've ever done anything involving youth with homelessness, obviously it's gotta be an extremely safe setting because absolutely, uh, absolutely, there's dangers involved. Um, we went to this uh, mission house the next morning to get breakfast. It was the most tense moment. There was this guy who was just strung out on something. He hadn't slept for days. He was looking for trouble. Um, you know, so this is a nitty gritty world. I will say that there was a young lady, um, not much older than you, that was there doing that feeding ministry, and she did not bat an eye. I mean, colorful language scary, gruff characters, and she did not bat an eye. She just walked right up to every single person and handed out food to people at her own risk. It was notoriously one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country for a while. So um, be wise, uh, work through organizations, uh, minimize your risks, and let the organizations, again, can take care of a long-term relationship-based approach to caring for people rather than just a simple transaction. I, I would say, hey, that's great if you can keep a kit in your car and when you stop at the corner and, you know, it's going to be a drive-by thing, just pray with them and give them a kit and tell them God loves them. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, go out alone into the alleys and, you know, try to care for people. That's, they're, they're 
they are God's children, but they're also like all of us, you know, human. So. And I want to get to Lily's question, but you mentioned a kit. Could you tell us what you mean by a kit? Yeah. So I, in the resources that Michelle's going to give you the slide for, um, we've got kind of a whole list of things to consider and kind of study and look at kind of to educate yourself a little bit better on it. But we do have a link uh, from a homeless ministry on how to just build a simple, uh, put it in a baggie kit with some non-perishable items and um, just a personal note, uh, just to let people know that God loves them and, uh, you know, a little prayer that's in there. So, um, and again, socks, <laughs> don't forget the socks. That's good. All right, Lily. Uh, so I believe you touched on this, but, uh, because there are some homeless people who, uh, they're really homeless, but if they were given money, they might spend it on, um, like alcohol or something like that. Do you think it's, an, unless you know the person, do you think it's ever worth it to give them money or should we really solely focus on stuff like food and socks and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I would really, really be careful with giving even small, tiny amounts of money unless you were like right there with them, seeing them spend the money. You know, mental health issues, addiction issues, you know, we don't talk a lot about possession like in the bible when it talks about these people that were possessed right i mean what that means is that you are physically owned by whatever you know it might have been the evil demons or whatever it was that physically possessed you and for many of the people that we're talking about you know that's what we're talking about i mean it, it is such a strong possession over them that you know completely has ownership over their thoughts and again i mentioned you know there there will be people that they can go live a normal life. They have absolutely everything uh, provided for them that they would need, but they will instead live on the streets because they are so possessed. So, I mean, this is something that has such a desire um, that you have to, that's why they talk about, it. you have to hit that rock bottom, be at the absolute bottom where you, you know, you just finally get to that point where like, if I don't get rid of this possession over my physical body, I'm going to die from this. And unfortunately with opioids, um, that's really, really hard and it doesn't happen very often once it takes hold. So the reason I would say is please be very cautious with money because for so many people, they are just like in scripture, physically possessed by this thing that has a hold of them. So one of the, to kind of jump piggyback on that as well for you, Lily, um, so our church is, uh, is located along a highway. So we have a lot of people that come, um, itinerants, people that come and knock on the, on the church, the office door. Um, and so, you know, we have at our church um, a few ways that we help. We have a food pantry ready for people that are coming along. So if they ask for food, we take in the food pantry and basically, you know, what do you want? I mean, we have lots. If they need gas, there's a gas station just a quarter of a mile down the road. So my husband, who's a pastor, will take them down there and buy them however many gallons of gas they need. And if they need a place to stay, we have, and a lot of communities do have this, where they have uh, hotels that actually set aside rooms for the homeless at reduced rates. So, you know, our church has a, a helping hands program that will sometimes, if the need is real, pay for a couple of nights a stay in a hotel room for those people. So for, for people who need a place to stay, but the policy is we never ever give money. We will pay for something, you know, we will provide some service, but again, yeah. And actually um, when my husband tells them that sometimes people will walk away, you know, they'll say, I need money for a meal. And my husband will say, let me buy you a meal and they'll banter back and forth and eventually the person will walk away because what they really wanted was the money, you know, for probably not food <laughs> when food is offered. So that's a great question. I have some questions for you then. Okay. So for, you know, as you guys are thinking about incorporating this into your life teams or as a possibility, you know, obviously I would encourage you to invite Pastor Shave to speak to your group or maybe even your school. But what are some other things when we talk about the four areas 
Y for Life, service, education, worship, celebration. What are some things that you could do if this is one of the areas you want to focus on? What do you, you think? could like have a time or like a session where you all get together and you all bring different items to make the homeless kits to pass out to people to like give in your car when you're driving. That's a great idea. It's a good service project, right? And I bet Thrivent would give you a Thrivent card for that um, if you have members. So even even better, right? Part of that money would think some of those things would be paid for. What else could you do? So when we talk about working through so service organizations that maybe already exist in your community, how many of you know that there's a place in your community that provides food for the homeless? And maybe you don't know, maybe you check it out, but could you volunteer there to help? Um, that would be a continued process, a, a continued um, connection, right, with people. The town that I live in has a food bank, but they also have a homeless shelter. And so they kind of like work side by side together to help get the people out of their situations. Yeah. So our clubs normally help out there like at least once a year. Yeah. And we pick like a night where we're all going to go and help them with whatever they need. Uh, we could help raise money to uh, expand and improve the existing homeless shelters. Sure, definitely. What about education? What could you do to educate the people in your high school or college? so that they maybe get some of the information tonight that you received or at least, or know how to, how to um, approach someone who's homeless or, or even just the, the issue which Pastor Shave did a wonderful job of reminding us that the homeless are also made in the image of God, right? What can we do to educate people to help them recognize this? Uh, well, our school has talked about our group holding some chapel services, so you could probably get the word to everyone in the school through something like that. Absolutely. At CUC, we have a homeless ministry, and it's uh, really neat. We've had like speakers come in to talk about this kind of stuff, and um, yeah, dignity is one thing that we've talked about a lot. Um, one event I went to, uh, we've done several times, but I was only able to go once, but um, we go downtown to Chicago and we bring like granola bars to pass out to people and we just talk to them and pray with them and just trying to treat them like human beings is, you know, the main point. Yeah. And the key is, of course, as Pastor Shave said, to bring that gospel, right? You are different. You have a light and salt to share that other people don't have. And so sharing that light and salt is a gift to the homeless, but also to you. Other comments, other questions, other ways you think you could incorporate something like this into your school? I was wondering, I guess this is more a curiosity thing, but also a question about things to include in kits, how the pandemic has affected homelessness right now. Because I know you were mentioning how some people have lockers and gyms and when the pandemic started, all gyms are closed and I think they still are and going to Starbucks and how Starbucks was closed at first and now you can go in but only if you have a mask and homeless people were getting kicked out of establishments like that before you were required to wear a mask and I don't know if is that something that if we're making kits right now that should be included masks and gloves and sanitizer and all that stuff great question yeah, you definitely want to have any kind of hygiene things are awesome for, for women, especially that have their feminine needs and any of those kinds of things that are related. So absolutely, even more so, as you kind of pointed out, uh, with COVID, the people that were already on the bubble with unemployment, you can only imagine, you know, we're talking about addiction, people that were in recovery that then find themselves suddenly in isolation. We're seeing spikes in everything. So you bring up a great point that it kind of changes the way the ministry looks, and it also is going to only increase the amount of need that is there. Um, so another thing to consider is these homeless ministries that are serving, they're absolutely on the front lines, uh, putting themselves at risk. And they're doing a wonderful job to continue. I mean, they're they're making that sacrifice, is my point, that they will even uh, increase the number of people that they're serving in the face of danger. So more 
more power to them and deserving of our support because this is only going to grow and uh, scale. I will say, you know, I had mentioned before, my wife too has a homeless ministry for families facing homelessness. There are always opportunities with her organization for getting families into homes. So if you have any kind of ministry like that, you know, as you're mentioning, Claire, that uh, for people that don't have access to other things, you know, those are ministries that are just absolutely life-saving. And so they have lots of ways to serve the children and the families and moving, all sorts of ways to help with uh, maintenance of the homes and that sort of thing. So again, you bring up a good point and also to remember that amount of homelessness is only going to grow and scale in the near future. Anything else? Okay. If not, we want to thank uh, Pastor Shea for being here and for sharing his expertise. Um, it was, it's been a pleasure to learn from you and hopefully we can take the information that we have and, and serve others well to uphold lives from a gospel motivated way. So thank you very much. Well, thank it, you. And thank you for taking the topic. So uh, seriously, when it comes to understanding sanctity of life, appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming tonight and I'll see you hopefully next week. Thanks for joining us for today's life topic. Check out whyforlife.org or email Michelle at whyforlife.org to find out how and when you can go live with us at our next Chats for Life session. Or join us next time right here at Why for Life Podcasts, where youth learn how to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Oh,